Well, howdy. Howdy. Well, that was an Aggie howdy. <laughs> That's good. So, since we've been asking to be more passionate, is it okay if I'm a little passionate this morning? That okay with you? Well, I'm just asking because, you know, the people I come from, passion's like a good thing. But here in America, passion's good if you're talking about like sports or maybe politics or food. But some other things, you know, are a little more <clears throat> reserved. So, but to get you warmed up for all that passion, how many of you like top ten lists? Anybody? Yeah? Okay. Well, I was looking for top excuses for not coming to church. But then I found over 182, and so I thought, no, the food will get cold. So, um, yeah, I mean, we could be here all day. So I've got the top 10 school excuses the parents have sent in for their kids. Number 10, my son is under a doctor's care and should not take PE today. Please execute him. Number 9. Please excuse Lisa for being absent. She was sick and I had her shot. <laughs> Number eight, dear school, please excuse John being absent on January 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, and also 33. <laughs> I didn't make these up, people. Number seven, John didn't come to school yesterday because he was feeling like he was going to be sick. Thankfully, he wasn't. Number six, please excuse Janet's absence from school. It was take your daughter to work day. Since I don't have a job, I made her stay home and do housework. <laughs> this is probably my favorite. Number five, please excuse Ricky from school yesterday. He spilled gasoline on his stomach and I was afraid he might explode. Number four. Please excuse Ray Friday from school. He, w he has very loose vowels. <laughs> Apparently his consonants are okay. Number three. Please excuse Tommy for being absent yesterday. He had diarrhea and his boots leak. <laughs> so for any new parents, you want to make sure if your kid has diarrhea that it stays in the boots. You don't want <laughs> leaky boots. Number two, please excuse Jennifer for missing school yesterday. We forgot to get the Sunday paper off the porch, and when we found it on Monday, we thought it was Sunday. I think this is a generational thing, maybe many generations of people missing school, and yeah. And the number one excuse, please excuse Jason for being absent yesterday. He had a cold and could not breed well. Because that's why we send our kids to school, so they can breed. <clears throat> You're asking, what's the relevance? I know you are. Well, there are no excuses in the kingdom of God. On your own time, you can look up John 15, 22. Now, some Christians never experience the kind of victory in big life we've been talking about. And instead, their behavior is almost exactly like the behavior of someone who never heard of Christ, which is sad. Um, we're going to talk about glory today, and I think the antonym of glory is excuses. Chew on that one for a while. Um, 
And these Christians are characterized by the same sinful tendencies, and they tend to say, well, I can't help it. Actually, in the kingdom, you, you can help it. You've got this great big God inside you. Yeah. And so that's the good news of the gospel, that because we share in Christ's resurrection, we share in that power. Our old sinful nature has been destroyed. Heard any of this before? So we may still be living on earth, but we're also living in the kingdom, and we have access to that, to that power. It's like we're authorized signers on God's bank account. And I don't mean just money. I mean the power, the love, the grace, the glory, the forgiveness. Okay. And yet sometimes we fail to experience that radical life that Jesus talks about. We continue to live with fear or guilt. Or we keep gauging our commitment to God by the list of things we can check off that we've done, which is a form of slavery. And the truth is we can walk in the reality and the power of the resurrection instead. That's the big life that we talk about. Fully coming to terms with the truth that we were set free from the day we believed. Some would say from the day Jesus rose from the dead, but... Here's the big idea. Christ is an all-sufficient Savior. He's reconciled us to God. He frees us from guilt. And he makes excuses into lies. I wish I had come up with that when I read it somewhere. Any excuse for not living a powerful, glorious life is a lie because Jesus empowers us to live in the kingdom of God. He empowers us to live in a radically new reality. When you hear kingdom, that's what we're talking about. A reality in which the old sinful nature has been destroyed. And so our key word today is glorious or glory. David and I were talking about how you really don't know how to pronounce that word unless you've been in an African-American church. Because it's not just a little noun, glory, you know, like a Christmas carol noun. Yeah. Glory! It's a verb. Okay, so let's, let's pray. Lord, we invite your glory today. We invite your glory into our lives. We invite your glory to be like a blinding light that takes away all of the darkness, all of the lies, all of the excuses, all of the confusion. We thank you, Lord, for the work you've been doing these last 40 days. Lord, we ask that you would make this a time of celebration of you and of you living in us and through us. In Jesus' name. I want to read a little bit out of Colossians 3 from the message. That's not our text for today. But, and I'd like to read all of it, and I suggest, if you're trying to figure out how to get in touch or operationalize, that's my word this week, operationalize, <laughs> this whole glory kingdom thing, read Colossians 3 every day, as long as it takes. I'm going to jump to verse 9. He's been talking about don't do things the old way, do things the new way. He says, don't lie to one another. You're done with that old life. It's like a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes you've stripped off and put in the fire. Now you're dressed in a new wardrobe. Every item of your new way of life is custom-made by the creator with his label on it. Talk about designer clothes. All the old fashions are now obsolete. I don't know how many of you watch award shows like the Oscars and the Grammys. And... Yeah, me too. And almost as big as the show 
is the show before the show where they're walking down the red carpet with all the fancy clothes they didn't pay for. I'm not bitter. Um, and they used to ask, okay, who designed your dress? But now the question is, who are you wearing? That's since about the 90s. I think it was Joan Rivers that started that. They'll say, who are you wearing? And they'll yell out somebody's name, you know, Gucci, Prada, right? So let me ask you, who are you wearing? And I don't mean your clothes. Are you still wearing, quote, a filthy set of ill-fitting clothes? Or are you wearing Christ? And if we really took off our old self and put on Christ, then what does that say about excuses? Well, we don't have any. We can't say, I'm nobody, because we've been raised with Christ. We will appear with him in glory. Now, it's up to us whether, how soon that glory starts showing. We can't say, well, I, I want to live the way I want to live. I thought you, that life was gone, and now it's Christ living in us. We paid a huge price for that. And we can't say, I can't help myself, because sin has no hold over us. I could give you all the verses, but I, I think you've heard them. And we can't say, that's just the way I am. That's just how I roll. Because I'm not supposed to be the way I am. I'm supposed to be the way Christ am. Right? Okay. And we can't say, well, I, I don't want to be with those kind of people. You know, that gender, that age, that color, that denomination. Because we're all one in Christ. And so because Christ is sufficient, there's no excuse for us not to live this new life. So all of that is in Colossians 3. But today, we're going to be finishing up the Lord's Prayer, which is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which around here we call the big talk on about... They sound sick of it. <laughs> From the big God. Yeah, I like, I like David's little addition there. Okay, so this is really half a verse, not even a whole verse. Matthew 6, 13b. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Okay, so you know what happens when we ditch our excuses? We start to live in such a way that God's glory can shine through us. Maybe I should say it this way. God's glory! Life in the kingdom! Full of power! And power and glory are God's, and he shares that with us. Romans 8.17 says we are co-heirs with Christ, which means we are co-heirs with the sufferings, but also with the glory and the power and the kingdom. So Paul tells us to put off the old behavior, the sinful life, as if we were taking off old clothes. In Romans 13.11, we're told to put on Christ. And at the beginning of the third chapter of Colossians, we are told we are hidden in Christ. Can you imagine putting on a really, really big coat that almost completely covers you up, you know, hidden in Christ. And that's what we're supposed to do with him, to put him on, to dress ourselves in him. But first we have to understand that sin is now alien to us, so we take that off. And Jesus said all this wardrobe stuff goes both ways, because we put him on, but he also puts us on. Remember he talked about, I'm going to abide in you, you abide in me. That's out of the 15th chapter of John. 
And in the message, it says, live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. Anybody heard that our body is the temple of God? Heard those words? Can you handle the idea that we are God's coat? That he's on the inside and you're on the outside? Okay, so think about that. What kind of coat would be good enough for Jesus? An angel showed up right now and said, hey, good news, Jesus is coming back next week. You need to make him a coat. And we've got some good seamstresses in here. You think maybe we'd go get the best designer we could to, so it would be as glorious, even more than those Hollywood stars? Would anything be too good for him? Well, you know, there was a, one of the forerunners of Jesus was the idea of the high priest of the temple. And the first one was Aaron, the brother of Moses. And he didn't have anything to wear because there hadn't been a high priest before, right? So in Exodus 28, we get these intricate instructions for the temple priest's garments. And in verses 2 and 3, it says, God says, You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and beauty. There's another translation that says to give him dignity and honor. I like this one. For glory and for beauty. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with a spirit of skill that they make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. Consecrate means when you set apart something or someone for a specific purpose. And so when a person consecrates themselves to God, they're setting themselves apart from the world, we're in the world, no longer of it. It's a lot like when a couple gets married and hopefully they get out of the single scene, right? They wear a ring instead of a coat, they wear a ring to show they are consecrated, set apart. Okay, so we've got this whole chapter telling us all about how to make Aaron's clothes. And then there's two more chapters. There's Exodus 39 and Leviticus 8 that detail the making and the fitting of those garments. That is three chapters, people, for one outfit. <laughs> Think that was important to God? And he has them put all these jewels and the most expensive fabrics. And this was just a forerunner, a picture. So if that's what they did for a mere priest, it was just another lowly mortal, what kind of garment would we make for Jesus? So guess what? Jesus is back, and he's wearing you. I ought, to ask my, I ought to maybe wash myself once in a while, rip up any tear, you know, fix up any tears, so that he looks glorious when he's wearing me. Okay, back to the Lord's Prayer. No, it's a very Jewish prayer. It's almost a restatement of several prayers that they were accustomed to. If you remember first lesson we talked about, and it was discussed again and again, all meaning in the Bible is what dependent? Context, context dependent. Yay, VLI students. <laughs> and so what's the context? You've got a Jewish guy talking to Jewish people who are very familiar with all these Jewish prayers. They say like 18 times a day. Okay. I want to just tell you about a couple of them and how they're reflected in the Lord's Prayer, because that's, that's what they're thinking when they hear these things. I'll go through it quickly. I'm not going to give you the whole prayers, but when he says, Our Father, you who are in heaven, here's from the Kaddish. May his great name be blessed, holy. Talk, our um, may the prayers and supplications of all Israel be accepted by their Father who is in heaven. Your kingdom come. May he establish his kingdom. Your will be done. Tell me if this sounds like God's will. 
May there be abundant peace from heaven, life, satisfaction, health, comfort, refuge, healing, redemption, forgiveness, atonement, relief, and salvation. Glory. There's another prayer, the Amidah, also called the 18 Blessings, where they say, we will sanctify your name in this world just as it is sanctified in the highest heavens. On earth as it is in heaven. And instead of the, give us this day our daily bread, bless this year for us, O Lord our God, together with all the varieties of its produce for our welfare. They prayed for a whole year. Jesus prays for one day, which is either the beggar's prayer or the sojourner's prayer. Somebody who can't carry with them, you know, a whole year's worth of food. You ever had a homeless person come to you and say, hey, buddy, can you spare $25,000? No. They don't ask for a year. They say, hey, you got a buck? You got some change? Right? And that's what, what Jesus is praying. Apparently, he's not particularly anxious about the whole year. So that's a little twist. Um, Forgive us, our Father, for we have sinned. Pardon us, O our King, for we have transgressed. Forgive us our trespasses. And here's where he takes a radical departure. He adds, as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is new. And it's going to be restated in a few verses. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Blessed are you, O Lord, the support and glory of the righteous. And they pray that he will help them so that we may never be put to shame. Isn't that cool? Now the verse we're looking at today, that's a reflection of what's called David's doxology in First Chronicles 29.11. Doxology is usually the end of a prayer. It's praise. It's like the big hurrah. If you've watched the uh, Winter Olympics at all, they have a lot of triumphant marches. And usually those end with this big crescendo at the end. That's what a doxology is to prayer. And they call it David's doxology because he's basically giving his last big speech. He's about to turn the throne over to his son Solomon, who's the one that's going to build the temple. He's taken up this humongoid collection for the building of the temple, and he's really happy about it. It's the first time that God is addressed as the father of his people, which is interesting because Jesus starts his prayer with our father, and then he closes it referencing this prayer. First Chronicles 29.11 out of the Amplified Bible. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and yours it is to be exalted as head over all. Does that sound like for the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever? Many experts actually think this verse was added later on, that maybe Jesus didn't actually say those words at that time. Personally, I'm perfectly okay with those words being there because the Jews he was talking to would know that you end every prayer with praise. So I'm okay with it. If you need more information, let me know, and I'll send you the stuff. Um, here's the beauty of this ending. We live our lives recognizing that the real power is with God. I don't have to come up with it myself. The kingdom, the glory, it's all his. He, he shares it with us. So I don't have to hang on to the things that I think give me significance. I don't have to hang on to my possessions, my status, Whatever it is that makes me look good to other people, because remember the other context of the Lord's Prayer, it's in the middle of not trying to do things to impress people. 
we revel in the fact that it all belongs to the king and that he is pleased to share it with us as he sees fit. And all of this is taught by Jesus within the context of getting over that need or desire or itch to please others. So something else we don't hang on to is our injuries. Well, that's another way we feel special. If I can't tell you that I was the valedictorian and the quarterback and the this and the that, then maybe I can tell you, oh, I've suffered so much, right? That's another way I can make myself special in your eyes. But I don't need that if I have God. Here's what Philip Yancey says on the redemptive work of God. He's the guy that wrote, where is God when it hurts? He says, I once was part of a small group with a Christian leader whose name you would likely recognize. He went through a hard time as his adult children got into trouble, bringing him sleepless nights and expensive attorney fees. Worse, my friend was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer. Nothing in his life seemed to work out. So this is a Christian leader who says, I have no problem believing in a good God, he said to us one night. <clears throat> Excuse me. My question is, what is God good for? A lot of people ask that. We listened to his complaints and tried various responses, but he batted them all away. A few weeks later, I came across a little phrase by Dallas Willard. For those who love God, nothing irredeemable can happen to you. There's no bad thing that God can't redeem for his glory. I went back to my friend. What about that, I asked. Is God good for that promise? So my life and some of the tragedies I've been through, I can tell you have all been redeemed in two ways. One, God's glory was able to shine through all the mud. And two, I've been able to then take that experience and help other hurting people. So not one of them has been wasted. Isn't that amazing that God can do this? We, uh, we've, we're looking at, particularly, I hope you got these, and if you were in a community, got, community group looking at the little prayer booklet for our fast, and there were some questions in there. And the last question for each week was a particularly hard-hitting one, I thought. First question, first, first week, the question, last question was, is God worth the trouble? Is he worth the trouble of setting aside time with him? Is he worth the trouble of doing things for other people? Second week, the question was, is God worth the risk? The risk of worshiping with abandon, even if I don't feel anything miraculous right then. Is God worth my discomfort? The discomfort of doing things his way. Fourth week, do I really believe God is faithful, faithful to provide for me? Fifth week, is Jesus worth letting go of my desire that those who have hurt me may be punished? And the last one was, is Jesus worth my being serious about living life passionately with constant prayer, fasting, and charity as my everyday journey? I hope some of you spent some time with those. But when I did, I started wondering what Jesus would say about me. Because I'm, I'm asking, okay, is Jesus worth it? Is Mariana worth it, what he had to go through? You know, if, if you think about his life and how he was alienated, his own family thought he was nuts. They wanted to have him committed. Um, he was sent to death row. That's not exactly Mr. Popular. And then all the suffering on the, on the cross. 
was I worth it? And I want to I wanna read to you the answers I got from Jesus. I've got my Kleenex. If you need some, we have some on the right and the left side of the cabin. Was I worth the trouble? Yes, I believe you are worth the trouble of going to the cross. Listen to this as God's Valentine's Day card to you. Yes, I believe you are worth the trouble of being temporarily separated from my father. Yes, I believe you are worth the trouble of giving you free choice, knowing you would sometimes use that to hurt yourself and others. Yes, you are still worth the trouble of listening to your prayers. You are worth all the trouble. Was I worth the risk? Yes, I believe you were worth the risk of my dying before you made up your mind to follow me. I did it for a lot of people who have thrown it back in my face, calling me a myth or just another good guy. Was I worth the discomfort, the pain? Yes, you were worth every step I walked, every pound that cross weighed, every bit of spit on my face, every nail hammered into my body, every thorn cutting into my head, the splintered wood rubbing against the torn flesh on my back, the vinegar going down my parched throat, and finally my heart itself splitting open as I died. That's why you won't hear me say something like, oh God, I, I don't want to go to that nursing home. That, that smells like pee, and you know how sensitive my nose is. I don't want to go to that hospital. That reminds me of when I was in the hospital, when my parents were in the hospital. You know, I think about the cross. And there's nothing that he asked me to do that comes close. And he says he thinks I was worth it. Was it worth it to trust in my faithfulness? Yes, I believe you will choose to be faithful to me, no matter how big the temptations are. Was it worth it to bring me forgiveness? I say you are still worth a beautiful, eternal life, even though you have hurt those I love and died for. And finally, was I worth living a life of discipline? You were worth everything I denied myself while on earth. You were worth my passion, my suffering, my life, my constant prayers, my fasts, and all that I now give to you in your poverty of spirit. When you are low on mercy, I'll supply it. When you are low on courage, you can have mine. When you are low on grace, plug into mine. It's up to you how big the channels are for my power and glory to pour through you. There are so many choices I leave up to you because I believe you're worth it. There's a controversial theologian that said something interesting. He said, Christianity is not a message to be believed, but an experience of faith that becomes a message. I believe it's both. I think it is a message to be believed, the message is that there's a glorious God that loves us and proved it. And I believe it's an experience of faith that becomes a message. And the message is that there's a glorious God that loved us and proves it. Hopefully proves it through my life, proves it through yours. We are to be conduits for God's glory. Think about when there's a power outage and some time goes by and somebody says, hey, is the power back on? What do you do? You flip a switch, see if the lights come on, right? And if the bulb is burning brightly, then you know there's power coming to the house and it's possible to connect to it so you can go plug other things in, right? 
Okay. Well, think about this. God's the electricity, and we're the light bulb. He supplies the power. We show the glory. Chuck Smith, in his study guide for the Sermon on the Mount, describes four outlets of spiritual power. I won't spend a lot of time on them. First, the witness of our godly lives. That's one way God's people, that people get in touch with God's power. Two, our words. Three, our service for God. Four, our money invested in God's kingdom. And five, our prayers. This is how God's glory can shine through. Godly lives, words, service, money, prayers. And see, we get to decide how much power comes through us in all those areas, right? We can be a great big light bulb or a tiny little dirty one that very little light comes through. I mean, you're still going to heaven. Congrats. They let all bulbs in. But let me ask you, if your house was on fire, you want me to show up with a garden hose or a fire hose? Anyone? Big one. And, and does it make any difference to you if it's actually like plugged into something like a fire hydrant? <laughs> well, and if your life is on fire, you want me coming with a lot of power and with God's truth or my own ability, my own ideas, good as those might be. No comments. Okay, so you've heard us talk about the spiritual disciplines and you've heard us talk about discipleship and being in accountable relationships. The, the spiritual disciplines are things like tithing and fasting, experiencing community and experiencing silence, um, solitude, worshiping. These are things that make your hose or your life come through you. And see, this, the thing is, the citizens of the excuses about how my thing, I am doing stuff. Not if you gave your life away. Fire. I, that's just evidence that I've been busy living my own life, living the world when I could have had the kingdom. It might be the reason I can't help you, but it's not a valid excuse. I want to bless you with another doxology. This one's from Jude. This is chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. I want to pray this over all of you. Now all glory to God who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you with great joy into his glorious presence without a single fault. All glory to him who alone is God, our Savior through, Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. All glory, majesty, power, and authority are his before all time and in the present and beyond all time. Amen. See, he's the one that brings you through, in case you're starting to feel a little guilty or ashamed or whatever. Our job's to plug in. Excuse me. The God we are connected to is this glorious God. And during our first message in this little series within a series, remember I played you a, a song that's, that's got parts of an old message by S.M. Lockridge? I want to play it again. This is a different mix. It's a little bit longer. You get to hear more of the message. And I want to do this because I want us to focus on the glorious God. I want us to celebrate him as we get together and have lunch in a few minutes. He is the message. Marky! That's Marky!
king was born king. He's a king of the Jews. He's a king of Israel. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of the ages. He's a king of heaven. He's a king of glory. He's a king of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. He's in this form. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's impurely powerful. And he's impartially merciful. Now that's my king. Well, I wonder if you know him. Do you know him? He's the highway of holiness. 
I said it better myself. I said it. I played you the video. I heard that somebody was passed, and they said every year they're sad when it ends because during that time, they really feel God's power in their lives. They really have breakthrough. Here's the news. That power is the same, 365.2 days a year. You just have to plug into it. And you can plug into it through fasting, through corporate prayer, through all any of the disciplines, all the time. So we're going we're gonna to have a meal together today to celebrate what God's done through this time. And the way we're going to minister to each other is to share what he's done or what we've learned. I think that's the best start to each other right now. If it's okay, I'm going to go ahead and say a blessing over the food and move on. If you join me, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the bread that is your word, that feeds our spirits, that gives us eternal life. And thank you, Lord, for the bread and other food that you've brought here today through your people. Lord, I ask that you would bless it and help us well. I ask that you would bless our time together in mind. Even those things that we hadn't realized were displays of your power during the last 40 days. Lord, let us walk out of here excited about being plugged in to such a great, awesome God. In Jesus' name, amen. Any instructions for food and such? We'll give Clara a minute. <clears throat> Thank you for your attention. Okay, that was, uh, boy, it feels like it needs a response. <laughs> so, but <clears throat> maybe we can give people an opportunity. So if, if you're feeling impacted and you're wanting to experience, if you experience the kingdom during the fast or you didn't and you want more and you'd like to come up and get prayer, I'll be here and some of us will be here um, to pray for each other before we those who have kids and stuff get started first um, with the food. And if you want to come up and just um, worship together and pray together and invite God's kingdom to come and reign in your life this whole year as it has in these last 40 days, then um, feel free to come up to the front and get some prayer. And? Okay. We'll do that. The chairs are going to move around the tables and the tables are going to move and all that. So if you're not getting prayer, you can go help with that. <laughs> 